Hi there. Welcome to episode seven, the series finale for the last great Stanley Cup finals, a Speak Your Peace series. We've been going through games one, two, three, four, five, and six of the 2011 Stanley Cup finals from between the Boston Bruins and the Vancouver Canucks on the 10-year anniversary of each games. Now we're here to do game seven as we discuss the Boston Bruins 4-0 victory over the Vancouver Canucks in game seven of the Stanley Cup finals from 2011. It was a great game. It was a great series. Um, it, it, this didn't quite go as planned for myself. I, I, I thought it was a really good series altogether in terms of hockey and in terms of watching it. Uh, the podcasts, I think, are good and, and have been pretty good for the most part. Hopefully you, uh, the viewer or listener, have enjoyed them. But uh, I can't thank everyone enough who has contributed, supported, taken part in making this series happen. Uh, it's been great. Hopefully we can do some more stuff like this in the future. I'm sure we will. But in terms of just this series here, um, it, it's been a blast. So thank you very much for listening. Uh, hopefully you enjoy Game 7 with myself, uh, SYP creator Ian McNaughton, in case I didn't introduce myself. Um, it, it, I, again, I, I can't thank everyone enough uh, from the bottom of my heart. This has been awesome. Uh, the support has been great. And I hope you enjoy the final episode. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for watching. Enjoy episode seven of the last great Stanley Cup finals. All right, welcome to episode seven of the last great Stanley Cup Finals. My name is Ian McNaughton here. Thank you for joining us. Uh, we're discussing the Bruins' 4 nothing victory over the Vancouver Canucks in game seven of the 2011 Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, it was 10 years ago on this day, June 15th, that the game happened. Uh, it took place in Rogers Arena in Vancouver, British Columbia. And it was the Bruins' first cup in 39 years with the win. Uh, Vancouver, I think this, yeah, this is their 40th anniversary season. Uh, no cups up to this point in three tries. Uh, it, it was a, a terrific game for game sevens. Um, game sevens, I, I find in, in any sport or, or whether it's baseball, basketball, hockey, uh, game sevens always seem to be a bit slow and lethargic because you're afraid to make a mistake and guys are especially in this uh situation where it's the last game of the last round and you've been playing you know in the playoffs for the previous three months after playing in the regular season for the previous five six months before that so a lot of energy has been spent getting up to this point and now we are in game seven uh, the series is tied. Obviously, I, I reveal that the Bruins won, but we all know this. It, it, it's 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 a fine game for being a game seven. Unless you're a Canucks fan, then you're not really too thrilled with the outcome. But I, I mean, the hype was there. The intensity was real. I, I so pretty much I watched the full uh, NBC broadcast. They have the full games on YouTube. You go check it out and. I, I, I remember myself personally when I was living here 10 years ago, I, I remember just the intensity, um, the hate towards the Bruins that they had, 
there was I I remember there being a bit of concern with Vancouver because because of Game Six. Game Six went terribly wrong for Vancouver. They were not in it from the start of Game Six. Uh, however, they had three really good home games. So if you have the home games, then it's kind of like, well, we're back at home. We've been really good at home. Now is maybe the time to get the win, to get the series win, to get the cup. And, and, and unfortunately, it, it just didn't happen for them. One thing I forgot watching this game over again, including the pregame, which I'll discuss in a bit here. Um, one of the things I, I, I forgot was this kind of Canadian-American rivalry, which we talk about now, because as, as I record this, the Montreal Canadiens are still... Uh, alive in the playoffs they're playing the Vegas Golden Knights and you know we, we there, there's always this discussion in Canada about you know Canada's team and rooting for the last remaining Canadian team because we want to see the the cup in Canada where it's you know supposed to be and there there was like if you go if you go back and look at the anthems and the introductions and the pregame there's a lot of Canadian flag there's a lot of Canadiania as, as I like to say like you know just people rooting for Vancouver people rooting for Canada obviously the game is in Vancouver um and, and there's sort of this you know us versus the world Canada versus U.S. we're going to beat the Americans we we did it a year ago as of this game taking place we did it a year ago in the Olympics we're going to do it again uh in the Stanley Cup finals and I, I, I don't know why I forgot about that when it happened, but now it, it, it's slowly coming back to me. I, I personally, I, I'm in the middle of it. Like I, I'm born in the U S I live in Canada. My parents are Canadian. My entire family is Canadian. I'm, I guess, first generation born American, I guess is what you want to say. And that's where I was growing up before I moved to Vancouver before the Olympics. So like I'm stuck in the middle where I, you know, I like both countries. I like Canada. I like the U S so it was a bit hard for me in that regard to be for Canada and against the U S or for the U S and against Canada for a variety of reasons. But I, I do remember that being a big thing in, in 2011. And now I don't like, I can't say for Montreal because I I'm, I don't live in Montreal. I, I'm not a Habs fan. Uh, I, I'm not watching the games with a Montreal eye on it per se. But I I don't think there's the anti-American um, go Canada go type thing in Montreal. And, and I don't know if there really was that in 2011. It was a long time ago. I was 11 years old, 12 years old at the time. So it, it, it I, I don't know if there, you know, if that was a thing 10 years ago of people being like, yeah, screw the U.S. We want Canada to get the cup and we want to bring it back to Canada because I, I don't think, especially on the, on the East Coast and probably Alberta, I don't think they're, you know, big supporters of Vancouver or the West Coast. I know, you know, it's been 40 years for, without a cup for Vancouver and they've been one of the most depressing franchises of all time, but I, 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 I'm glad I watched the game and I, and I recognize that. Um, we've been going through different tiers, not tiers, but different categories uh, throughout the series. 
Um, basically, I'll go with some some fun facts uh, to start off with this game. Uh, the Bruins uh, practice the night before Game Seven, so usually teams have their their practice or their optional skates in the morning and then you do the press media obligations afterwards and the Bruins instead I think did their press or their media on the the afternoon or the morning before uh game seven and then did the practice in the evening so it, it was it's a weird thing when you talk about practicing in the evening because I I I think that kind of gets you a bit more game ready. I, I remember reading, uh, I can't remember what the name of the book is, but there's a book I read about college football and might've been like inside college football or inside college athletics with the primary focus being college football. It was a long time ago, maybe five, six years ago. I remember reading this book. It was in middle school. And I remember thinking how fascinating it was that former Washington State football coach, Mike Leach, um, whenever they did their kind of spring training or their, you know, pre whenever, you know, whenever their off season is over and they get back to practicing, uh, regularly to get ready for the football season, the first training camps, the first practices that Leach would do at Wazoo would be at 10 o'clock at night or 11 PM at night. Whereas most teams would do you know, you got to be in the door at 5 a.m., you work out at 6, you practice, at, like, all that sort of stuff. Leach went the other side of the pendulum. Leach said, we we practice at 10 p.m., we practice at 11 p.m., we practice at 9 p.m. or midnight or whatever, late in the evening. And he's, the reason behind that, he said, was because you're more likely with Washington State Cougars being on the West Coast team and playing in a Pac-12 – you're more likely to play in the evening, late at night, than you are during the day. You're never going to have a game at 6 or 7 or 8 in the morning. And it's very true because Wazoo never schedules the really early games like that. But they're hardly ever going out east to do those games. Usually their games are at noon or 1 p.m. So I, I just found it really interesting how not to say that the Bruins are connected to Mike Leach or they're all familiar with one another. They probably have no idea that each other exists, but I, I, I thought it was fascinating that the Bruins kind of use that same logic of, well, we're not playing game seven of the Stanley cup finals at 10 in the morning uh, on a Tuesday or a Wednesday in Vancouver. We're playing game seven of the Stanley cup finals at, five o'clock Pacific or maybe 8 p.m. for their body clocks. And I, I just thought that was really fascinating that the Bruins practice uh, the night before game seven instead of during the day. Um, fun facts also during this game, Brad Marchand and Patrice Bergeron each get two goals. Um, not Again, that's not a Vancouver fun fact. I, I just think that's cool because those are – those were two of like the three to four, five core members of the Bruins that you th think of when you think back to the 2011 run. It's usually Marchand. Uh, it's usually Patrice Bergeron. It's usually Sedano Chara. Um, Krejci a bit on the second line. Um, 
Thomas, obviously we talk about, he, you know, had a tremendous run during this postseason. I don't know if you, if anybody considered him to be like a core guy, cause he kind of came out of nowhere, but um, I, I just thought that was really, really fucking cool that the two guys who get the two guys who get goals for the Bruins are the two core guys who are still with them again as I record this uh, June fifteenth, twenty twenty one. I I just that that's what you know being with a team, especially when you're winning championships, is all about. You want to do it with the core guys. Ideally, you like to do it with you know the guys who have been through the process, who have come together with this team, and they did that with Marchand and Bergeron. Um, I just think that's really fascinating and really nice of the Bruins to be able to have that happen. Um, not a lot of other fun facts really in this game. I mean, Kevin Bieksa played nearly 30 minutes, total ice time, 28-39. Uh, Seidenberg played 28-51. Oreskovich got five minutes, 46 seconds. Thomas Caberlet got nine minutes, 14. Those last two were the lowest time on ice for each team. I mean, they're... Bergeron had a plus four in, in the game, which was really cool. Uh, the Sedin brothers had a minus four. Kind of goes to show you who came through in the game and who didn't come through in the game. So not a lot of fun facts outside of that in this game. Uh, again, this was the Bruins' first cup in 39 years. I can't remember if they won it Uh at home or on the road in their previous Stanley Cup, which was 1972, that they won the Cup. Uh, game six was at Madison Square Garden. So they won in 1972, their last Cup win before 2011. Uh, they won it on the road at Madison Square Garden, uh, which pretty pretty interesting that this is a team that hasn't been able to win the Cup at home, i.e. Uh, game 7, 2019 against the St. Louis Blues, where they had, you know, home ice advantage in game seven, and they lost to the Blues. So maybe if it was in St. Louis, the Bruins would have won that series. Who knows? Um, we'll move on to a penny for your thoughts. And this is the part of the segment, part of the series where I ask, you know, kind of questions about what ifs, if this happens, does this team win or if this player performs? Um in this game, it kind of goes back to Roberto Luongo. So I'll go through the scoring quickly. So Bergeron gets the first goal, which is kind of a weird goal where Mon- Marchand, he has the puck on a half wall. He kind of throws it in front. There's two bodies in front of Mar- in front of Bergeron. Bergeron just takes a whack at it, and Luongo doesn't even see it, and it goes in um, to the right of him, just goes in 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 off the shot from Bergeron, uh, kind of a weird play. He kind of looked like he like kind of going for a flop shot in golf. Um, the second goal by Marshan was an, not a, not a good one with Luongo because Marshan's going for the wraparound because he picks up the puck off the rebound. He goes for the wraparound and he's initially stopped by Luongo, but then Luongo, as he's following through, um, knocks the puck into the net and it's now it's then a two nothing lead for Boston. And then finally the last goal is a shorthanded goal, um, which Bergeron gets the puck off a night, you know, off a nice bounce off the glass. He takes it through the middle of the ice. He gets taken down, I believe by Sammy Sallow. 
And then the puck eventually goes in the net as the Wongo's kind of getting bodied by both Salo and Bergeron. Puck trickles in. Luongo's calling for goaltender interference. The refs don't give it to him. It's 3 nothing, and then the final goal for Boston is an empty netter. I, I just... Luongo was terrible in game six. He got pulled after the third goal. Um, he, he was terrible in the other two games in Boston. He was really good in Vancouver. Like, I'm not saying you had to put in... You had to start Schneider um, because the I, I don't think you could have expected Luongo to perform so poorly at home given the results in the previous games during the series but it makes you wonder if he does show up if he does perform well um where does that lead the team where does that put vancouver at this point um also another noticeable goal another noticeable game without a sedine's goal um Hank got his first goal in game one. I don't know if Daniel got a goal this series. He might have. I have to go back and check. He, he, they did have some, you know, chances early on, but there wasn't a lot of Vancouver chances in this game. The Bruins did a really good job of shutting them down. In fact, the Bruins uh, basically, yeah, they were just electric defensively. The Canucks had 37 shots on net and Thomas had another shutout. Like, this Canucks offense was really good. They didn't really have a lot of great chances. They just had volume. And I, I think the best chance I thought in the game was a Burroughs opportunity where he was right of the slot. He caught Thomas out of position, but backing up Thomas was Dan O'Chara and Chara blocks it off his knee. Like that's almost, that's almost worse as having Chara in net instead of Tim Thomas because Chara's size is just going to block everything, which it did on that shot. Puck got deflected away and the Bruins clear it out. Like, it, it was just, there was no great opportunities for the Canucks in this game. They just had a lot of volume opportunities. They just put pucks on net, and Thomas rose to the occasion. I wonder if the Sedins, if they can, if they somehow can get more goals or even more scoring opportunities, if they can figure that out, maybe they get a win or it's not a 4 nothing deficit. But other than that, I don't really have anything to add because I mean it, it, it really is just a what if if the if the Sedins were clutch like Marjana or Marjana Bergeron where are we then what what if the roles are reversed what, what could be you know what could we be talking about we might be able to talk about a Vancouver championship we might be able to talk about the Bruins moving off their core quickly because they didn't have that cup in 2011. Cause I think that's an issue with the Bruins too, is the fact that they did win that cup in 2011, which makes it a bit harder to move on from guys like Bergeron, Marshawn. They've already moved on from Chara. I don't know if they move on from Krejci possibly. It just makes you wonder. That, that's, that was the entire purpose of that segment. Um, Dave Bowen, best moments of the game. I I think there's a couple of moments that really stand out to me. One was uh, before he puck dropped, but after the anthem, the Canucks are playing. It's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll by ACDC, which I think is a fabulous pump-up uh, warm-up song to get your crowd hype. If you're not into that, then 
I don't know what's going to get you excited for game seven of the Stanley cup finals. Like that, that just pumps my heart. That, that gets me going. It's listening to ACDC, especially if it's a lot, it's a long way to the top. If you want to rock and roll um, during the game, best moments. I mean, kind of seeing Bergeron score in, in game, the first goal anyways, in, in game seven was really cool. Uh, just because of the fact that Marshawn obviously has a reputation and Bergeron doesn't, but Marshawn scoring is, is really cool. I think just because he's got the reputation um, and he's able to score in a game seven of Stanley cup finals and Vancouver didn't like Brad Marshawn had more goals in the Stanley cup finals uh game seven than the Canucks did. I don't know if Marshawn had more goals. That's actually going to be, that's actually something I, I want to check out right now is if Marshawn had more goals than the Canucks did uh, the entire postseason. But Marshawn, like he was terrific. He, he was incredible uh, throughout that postseason. And he, he, like, you couldn't have asked for more than what he, uh, what he gave, what he provided. And, and that's why he's, you know, beloved in, in, with the Bruins. Um, yeah, so he had one, two, three, uh, four, five goals in the series. I don't know. I think the Canucks have more than five goals in the, in the finals, but I'll, I'll check just to be sure. But that, but that's what I liked about Marchand's score was, you know, he was, he was he's just a pain in the arse, tough to play against. Yeah, the Canucks had more than five goals. One, three, so that's four, five, uh, six, seven, eight, eight goals. So Marchand had five goals in the finals, the Canucks had eight. And I mean, it, it's cool seeing, Ber again, kind of like going back to what I was saying earlier, it's cool seeing Bergeron get two goals too because of core guys, but it's just funny with Marchand. People call him a rat and he's still scoring goals and he's still winning finals. Um He's probably he, there's a good chance he's won a Stanley Cup more recently than your favorite team has. Sorry, just saying. Um, and, and then finally, um, best moment of the game, I have to go with kind of the, the Stanley Cup, you know, celebration afterwards when you get to raise the cup is one of the greatest traditions in sports. It, it's 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 the best trophy in sports. It's the best championship in sports, and you know, they always joke about, well, you know, it's 20, it's, it's 25 pounds, but it feels like air when you lift it, you know, you've been working so hard, but when you finally lift it, it feels like nothing. Like they make that cliche every time. Right. But, you know, it, it's just, it, it's so cool seeing Zidane Ochara win the cup, um, you know, coming from Slovakia, coming to the North American game and all he'd been through up in his entire career from Ottawa to the Islanders, everything, leading up to being a Bruin and he gets to lift the cup with a team that believed in him and, you know, stuck with him. That that's cool. That's really cool to see. And, and Nathan Horton also uh, lifting the cup was cool because of the Horton hit in game three. Uh, he traveled to, or he traveled to Vancouver for game seven. He obviously didn't play in any game after game three. So seeing him lift the cup is really cool, but I, I love the best moment is a, is a Stanley cup trophy celebration. Um, it, it's, it's tough when your team doesn't lift the cup, but when you when you get to see a team work as hard as the Bruins have, 
go through all that they went through, put it all on the line, and, and they win. And I know that it's also a cliche. It's not a cliche, but this story gets told many times about um, Gretzky and the Oilers in the 80s because they lost the 1983 Stanley Cup Finals to the New York Islanders. And I believe this was at the uh, uh, Northlands Coliseum in Edmonton. And how, you know, Gretz tells a story of walking by the Islanders' change room and seeing them celebrate with the Stanley Cup, but they're not really celebrating. They got ice packs over them, they got bandages on them, they're resting, and they're, not, they're, they're celebrating, but they're not really celebrating. They're kind of in pain and they're kind of in agony. And, you know, Wayne talks about how at that moment, you just, you know, kind of just sparked him like, wow, these guys put a lot on the line to win the cup and they're battered and they're beat and they're, you know, they're pretty much destroyed after winning the cup. And it's like, well, I got to work harder. I got to be stronger. I got to do more. And that's all, you know, when that happens, it's, it's rewarded usually with the Stanley cup at the end of the year. Um, you know, sometimes it doesn't always work out that way. Like for the Dallas Stars last season, um, who, who, you know, they had a, they got a new coach. They had to go through the bubble. They had um, injuries and, and all of this stuff leading to getting to the finals for the first time in 20 years, I feel like, with the Stars. Like it had been a long time since the stars made the finals and they finally get there through all of the circumstances and all the external factors that they can't control. And they lose to the Tampa Bay lightning who are just a better team in six games. Like sometimes it doesn't always work out, but when you see a team lift the trophy at, you know, lift a trophy at the end of seven games, it doesn't have to be at home. Uh, it wasn't at home for the Bruins, but it, it, yeah, it's not as cool if it, on the road. It, it is kind of cool unless, like, the, you know, here's the thing. Most times, it's not that cool. It was kind of cool when Washington won in Vegas because it's Vegas and it was their first season and they're going to go party in Vegas. Uh, it was kind of cool with the Blues because it was the Blues' first Stanley Cup and they completed the impossible pretty much of firing their coach midway through the season. They were actually in last place literal last place in the NHL and then they went and won a cup so that was cool but I mean like when like this the thing with this series was that it was such a rivalry and it was such a war for seven games Dan Patrick mentioned it in the pregame uh or Doc Emmerich did Dan Patrick or, or Mike Emmerich Doc Emmerich mentioned it in the pregame about how I, I think it's Emmerich now that I think about it that this was the most penalized series um, in the last 25 years up to that point, which, I mean, it's just incredible to think because this was a war. This was a war of attrition. This was a mean series that no one really expected to get heated, to get mean, to get tough. And yet somehow after all of it, there is a team that is going to have to lift the cup and, for the Bruins, they get to lift the cup. They get to celebrate with their guys, and the Canucks are left to wonder what went wrong. Um, th those are that's that's kind of those are the best moments I have for the game. Um, worst moments of the game, I mean, 
Luongo complaining about goalie interference after the third goal was kind of a bad moment because it kind of looked bad. It looked a little bit desperate. Uh, you could see on Elaine Vigneault's face that he knew it was up. The, the Canucks weren't scoring. The Canucks weren't scoring three goals at, like once they got down three nothing. It, it, it was it was tough being down one nothing uh, because they mentioned it during the broadcast that every team that scored first in a series won the game. Um, I, I think the Canucks were four and seven when the opposing team scored first, not good. And I mean, it, it's just, that, that was the, the, that, that was, I think at that point, it was like, okay, this game is probably over. There, there's not much of an opportunity to come back here with when it was down three, nothing Lou gives up the, 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 the really that one was a bad goal. That one was like, you, you got to be strong enough to hold. It's game seven of the Stanley Cup finals. You got to be strong enough to, you know, take a hit, keep the puck out. And he just wasn't. And um, I'm sure he'll tell you that 10 years later that he had to be better. Like, I, I'm sure he might also argue that was goalie interference, but um, I'm sure he'll also tell you that that wasn't the reason why they lost that night. So, in terms of worst moments, that, that was probably up there. Uh, the worst moment, you know, I mentioned about how cool the Stanley Cup uh, trophy ceremony is where, where, where you get to celebrate with the cup and you get to lift the cup. The worst moment is when Bettman has to make his long, stupid speech congratulating Jeremy Jacobs, the ownership, uh, Peter Shirelli, the G- like all that. He has to make it about himself for like five minutes before he can actually give the cup Uh to uh, Zidane O'Chara, which is the who is the captain, of course. Now, the other, I guess, worst moment, uh, not from the game. I mean, this happened as a result of the game. This wasn't the game itself, but of course, the Vancouver riots that happened afterwards. Um, I, I don't have a lot of comments on the riots. Obviously, they're bad. They shouldn't have happened, and it took a long time to longer than it should have to figure out what actually happened in terms of actual property damage. Um, uh, the kissing couple, which I think ESPN did a story on recently. I, I just, I've heard a lot of different things about the riots where apparently it was planned. There was people who were talking about doing it on the sky train, going to the arena beforehand. Um, it's not the first time it's happened. Obviously, Vancouver rioted in 1994 after their loss to the Rangers. This was apparently even worse in terms of property damage. And I, I just, I don't know. I, I don't like to talk about the riots a whole lot because I don't think that represents Vancouver as, as a whole of a fan base. Um, I mean, it's happened twice, so I guess it is a part of who they are and, you know, how fans are. I don't know if things have also changed in 10 years where I, I don't know if just Canucks fans are just more depressed and are, are just apathetic to a loss now uh, compared to 10 years ago, but who, who knows? I, I don't, but it's, it's obviously not a pretty scene. It's obviously not, uh, not the coolest thing to discuss, to bring up or, or mention, but it happened. It happened in Vancouver. Uh, in, in case you're wondering about some uh, some fun facts from those riots, the uh, the property damage yeah was more than in 1994. Uh, it, it was estimated to be at about five million 
dollars. Uh, 140 non-fatal injuries, uh, including one critically injured and three seriously injured. Um, yeah, and part of it, it didn't help that um, Vancouver had watch parties set up outside on Georgia Street, uh, I believe near the uh, CBC studios, which is within walking distance of the arena. Um, that probably didn't help either. So. Probably the next time Vancouver wins a cup, we're going to have another riot. It just depends on when Vancouver gets to the finals. Who knows? Um, I guess finally, uh, I'll go through some Pierre Maguire NBC mic checks. Um, not a lot actually during the game because like, like game seven uh, playing wise and hockey wise, it, it, you know, you're trying not to mess up. It's, it's pretty conservative. Uh, you, you're just trying to get through it without saying something too ridiculous. Uh, before the game, Mike Milbury, who uh, now is not with NBC, uh, Milbury was saying about how the Canucks, they're invincible, and then later on was in the same sentence would say they are vulnerable uh, in some parts. So that was the pregame. So the Canucks were invincible, but also vulnerable. Uh, that's a cool oxymoron. And then finally, Dan Patrick, who I forgot was doing the uh, – I think I was doing some of the pregame stuff here, especially on game seven. Uh, he said, a Bruin, as a Bruins fan told me as we were leaving the Garden on Monday, Boston didn't lose the British, and we aren't losing a British Columbia either. How kind. How sweet. Um, yeah, that's game seven. Um, you know, obviously the riots were a big deal. Um, the Canucks losing was a big deal. The Bruins winning was a big deal. Um yeah, the overall takeaways I have from the series is that hockey has changed in, in 10 years. Um, how we look at stuff and how we report stuff, and I think how we call stuff um, is different. I think hockey fans have, have changed in 10 years. Um, I, I think we, we as, I'm sorry, we, I'm, I'm generalizing, even though I shouldn't be, but generalizing, I, I do think uh, as fans, we try and look out for player safety a bit more. Um, we, 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 I think we appreciate skilled players even more. Um, I, I, I think from a media perspective, how we would cover the series, um, it would probably be a nightmare just because of the Vancouver media and Canucks Twitter getting involved. That would probably be absolute hell. Um, but then you also have Bruins media and Bruins Twitter getting involved. Because, I mean, if, if if somehow, some way, the Bruins and the Canucks met in the finals this year, like, let's say in 2021, I mean, it, it would it would be a weird experience. First of all, no one could afford to go to the games in Vancouver because they'd be so priced out. But I, I, I just I, – I, I feel like we would call more on the Sedins and Burroughs and a lot of the Boston shit that they – did probably wouldn't get called today I I would like to think but I don't know maybe we still have the well it's the finals just let them play type mentality which maybe we do um 10 years later from the Canucks perspective that was the last good team that they had that that was the last really good team that they had and obviously uh they made the bubble last or they made the uh, top four in the west last year in the bubble 
Um, they're, they're, I think they're getting close. They're inching closer. They're still a ways from making the finals. They're not far off from making the playoffs. I think they're a ways off from making the finals. Um, you know, obviously Roberto Luongo has done some really good work with Hockey Canada. Um, the Sedins are going to be coming back to the Canucks, even though it's not official. They're unofficially coming back to the Canucks in, in some regard in a management role. Um, Alex Burroughs has obviously uh, done a really good, I think it was with Montreal. He's with Montreal, coaching Montreal now, I believe. So he's done a really good job coaching with Montreal. He's an assistant there. Um, he got recognized by the team, I believe it was last season at some point. Same with the Sedins. Um, Kevin, B- Kevin BX is obviously now with Sportsnet. He's a, a commentator with Sportsnet. Um, you know, there, there's so many, when you look back on this team, it's a really good team, probably should have won the finals and they just went up against a style that didn't suit them and didn't match theirs. And they got physically outplayed, especially in the last two games where they got outscored uh, nine to two in the last two games of the series. I mean, again, just you give you an idea. Corey Schneider had the Corey Schneider played more in the series than the Canucks actually had a lead in this series, and the Canucks won three games. Um, yeah, it, it's it was just yeah, it, it's it's interesting thinking back on the Canucks team and what could have been and wasn't, and now they're fighting to get back. Maybe it'll be another what was it, 17 years. So in uh, 2028, they'll be back playing in the cup finals and we'll do this all over again. Made in 94, they lost in seven games. Made in 2011, they lost in seven games. And in 2028, they're probably going to lose in seven games in the finals to somebody. Um, From the Bruins perspective, maybe not the better team skill-wise, but they played a really good playoff style. Um, You know, I, I... I, li- I like the series for the Bruins because you got Milan Lucic, probably peak of his career. Uh, Mark Recchi with the perfect send-off at 40-something. He, he was just incredible all series, especially in game six. Uh, play- had-, had a significant impact. Even like Rich Peverly had a really good series. Um, a tremendous effort with-, with the Bruins. Their defense was very underrated. Their goaltending was astounding. I, I could talk about Tim Thomas in this series forever. Uh, their defense was terrific with Chara, Seidenberg. I mean, Adam McQuaid, who, who I remember, I remember his parents were on CBC or Sportsnet uh, several years ago, but after the finals, and they were talking about how the Vancouver fans treated them like shit, even though they were from Vancouver. Uh, they went to go support their son and they wore Bruins gear and they were treated like absolute dog shit because their son played for the Bruins. Um, again, that kind of goes back to how I, I, I speak of Vancouver fans and their, and the Canucks fan base. But I also feel like that would have been seen in a lot of other different places, not just in Vancouver. I feel like other fans would have given the parents shit if they wore their kid's Jersey there. Um, because, I mean, now for the Bruins in 2021, where they just lost to the Islanders in the second round, 
there's talks about getting rid of the core and retooling or rebuilding. Um, I they 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 appeared to be you know the favorites in 2019 and and it just didn't happen. Um, now you don't have Tory Krug, you don't have Zdeno Chara. I don't know what you do if you're the Bruins. I know it could be tough to move on from those guys because they won you a cup 10 years ago, but they're not the same players they were 10 years ago. I don't think. Um, Marchand obviously had a, a resurgent season of sorts. Bergeron is Bergeron. He's going to win you every faceoff. Krejci is obviously a really good second line center. Uh, I, I, the, the goalie thing is interesting. Um, I don't know if you like, I don't know if we'll ever see a goaltending performance like, Tim Thomas is again. Obviously, we're seeing Marc Andre Fleury have a really good uh, performance with the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, it's uh, the Bruins. The Bruins and Canucks now, ten years later. Uh, if if you were to ask me who was in the better situation, it's probably the Bruins. But if you had to ask me who I thought was going to the Cup next between those two teams, who's more likely to make a Stanley Cup between Boston and Vancouver? I don't know. I really don't know. It's a really good question. It, it, it's it's difficult because I, I, I want to say the Bruins, but they're getting older and they don't have a lot coming through the pipeline. From the NHL's perspective, 10 years later, um, you know, this is the last season or now with NBC. So uh, I think Eddie Olchek might be going to ESPN or, or Turner and probably the same for Pierre Maguire. But um you know, the NHL in, in 10 years, had they, they are, they've slowly changed. They're kind of, like, they've kind of been stuck in the mud on a lot of stuff, but they've also, they're, they're, they're dipping their toes in the water on trying to be a more progressive, more forward-thinking organization, and it quite, it, it hasn't quite happened to the levels that I'd like. I mean, for God's sakes, there's a team in Vegas. Uh, they got big deals now on ESPN and Turner. Um, they're, they're trying to have a bit more fun with like NF NHL fan choice awards. We got New Jersey's this past year with reverse retro jersey, like a, a whole lot of stuff in that regard. And now they're they, like they're they're trying to be a bit more um, forward in like social justice thinking. Um, which, I mean, 10 years ago, I, I don't know if that would have been a thing or if we would have had that, like, I, I don't know how we would have reacted then and, and compared to 10 years later. It, it's it's interesting to think with the NHL, and it's under the same tutelage of Gary Bettman, who I, I, I've given him plenty of, of shit for a lot of stuff. But, I mean, he is the guy who has helped grown a lot of revenues for this league um who has, has you know increased the popularity of hockey not just through north america but through the world i mean austin 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 matthews i'm getting my f1 mixed up with aston martin but austin matthews uh number one overall pick in 2016 five years ago came out of scottsdale arizona now he's playing for the biggest team in the world with the Toronto Maple Leafs so uh, it's interesting to think where the NHL has come in 10 years it's not as far as I wish it was as I wish they had but 
Um, they're still making some progress and they're still doing more than I thought they would be. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if 10 years from now we'll see Gary Bettman uh, at, as a commissioner. I, I don't think we will. I think probably within the next five years, he'll probably make his exit. Um, but it, it's fascinating to think about the league where the league has, has come forward in the next 10 years and where it'll go in the next 10. I mean, they, they got Seattle coming too. So it, it's, it's, it's a weird world. It's really interesting. Um, hockey itself, I think has gotten, is, has become a bit more, a little bit less entertaining, a bit more skillful. They're, they're, we're trying to make it entertaining, but we're also getting it coached the hell out of it, which doesn't always help. Um, young stars in the league are, are incredible. Um, you know, the McDavid's, the Matthews, the Marners, um, the McKinnons, the Drysidles, the Panarins. I, I can go on and on about all these young guys, younger players who uh, are, are making the league bigger and growing the league. And I, I just, the league's in a good spot. It's just a matter of the league to uh, put it all together, to figure it out, to make it happen. Uh, that concludes episode seven, uh, the series finale of the last great Stanley Cup finals. Uh, thank you very much for joining me on this journey, for taking the time to listen or watch. Uh, I sincerely hope you enjoy this and I can't wait to do something like this again soon. Uh, be sure if you're watching this video on YouTube to like it, uh, subscribe to our channel. Uh, be sure to listen to the podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts if you haven't already. But thank you very much. This is my, my appreciation uh, cannot be said enough for how thankful I am to be able to do this. And hopefully we can do more stuff like this in the future. So thank you very much for listening and watching. Peace out.